Hi, everyone, and welcome to the June 25th, 2021 episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. It's been nearly a year since the USMCA trade pact went into force. My guest today was intimately close to the talks that led to its eventual signing. So, we'll ask how things have gone so far under the terms of the New Deal. And, as automakers and governments around the world pledge to drive toward an electric future, does the trade deal, coupled with our natural resources, make Canada any more attractive when it comes to auto investment? Finally, we'll get an update on Project Arrow. Does it remain on target? All that when I speak with the head of the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association, Flavio Volpe, on this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. Flavio, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Always a pleasure to speak to you, Greg. Always good to have you on. Um, We're about one year into the new USMCA trade agreement. Generally speaking, at this point in time, how have things gone for the Canadian automotive industry under the new trade pact? Well, I'll be very specific when I say it's hard to tell. Okay. Because... uh, because uh, you know we had a a period here, of course, of informed compliance rather than uh, than enforcement, and then uh, we've had first we had the COVID shutdown uh, last year, but you know we've had uh, various shifting in volume based on shortages of anything from the microchips that we all know about to resins and other uh, chemicals that have uh, come in uh, um, over the last uh, several months. So it's hard to tell. It really is. Uh, you know, we've we're having philosophical debates though between countries. You know, the Americans, uh, the interpretation of this administration on um, on uh, how parts, uh, regional value content on parts um, applies uh, in uh, the regional regional value content calculation on cars. Uh, you know, they they want uh, their interpretation is there's no roll up available. Um, and uh, ours and the Mexicans are different. And so that's causing some angst. You know, if you ask me this question six months from now, Greg, we're going to have a hell of a lot more activity, a hell of a lot more volume. I think we're cleaning up the microchip shortage and the market's coming back uh, uh, post-COVID. I'd be able to give you something uh, a little better. So given the delays created by COVID and the uncertainty created by the microchip shortage and everything else, a foam shortage at one point out of Texas, has that allowed your suppliers, your members, to sort of go through the agreement more so with a fine-tooth comb and find out how they need to comply? Is it actually an advantage that they that they can look this over and not move so quickly into this new agreement? Has it actually helped you guys understand it more? Well, it's definitely given my team more time to understand it more. Uh, you know, the companies themselves who are trying to meet... Um, uh, volume ebbs and flows. I'm not sure that they're particularly uh, any more focused on USMCA. You know, in Canada, where anybody who's working on um, on uh, on moving goods across the border knows that the uh, Canada Border Service Agency is um, introducing a new system, CARM, for around this time next year, and it's pretty onerous. So I think anybody who's on uh, who's doing uh, customs compliance. Uh, is probably more worried about whether we're going to be able to meet this CARM deadline. This whole new system is going to replace what we do here um, and working at an incredibly fast pace uh, rather than uh, USMCA. You know, it doesn't mean that USMCA isn't the most important thing because it really is. It's just we're in a perfect storm of so many different dynamics that have shown up in the last year 
that uh, this should have just been that year where USMCA ramped up and all those new supplier relationships uh, uh, started. Instead, we have uh, suppliers and automakers uh, treading water for the better part of the last 12 months. So certainty is what everyone was looking for when the Trump administration was in charge because there were always threats about tariffs and about tearing up trade agreements and about not you know not agreeing to something and now we have something that everyone has agreed upon has that at all spurred talk of investment in Canada if the last year has been so uh, such a rough ride when it comes with all these distractions but in the background has there been chatter about USMCA making Canada a more attractive place to invest. So has that happened and are there plans for companies to invest in Canada with this new agreement in place? Well, you know, there were some certainties during the Trump administration that were that weren't beneficial. We knew he was a moron and we knew that he was uh, hard-headed and we knew that uh, he was surrounded by very smart people who were trade hawks. And so that was a dangerous combination uh, because he would light a fuse and they would throw gas on it. Uh, this administration, there's certainty because they're, they are open about uh, what their interpretation of the cross-border relationship is. Um, in that certainty, we know they're going to be tough. Uh, you know, uh, new trade ambassador um, has said uh, to us that their interpretation of the USMCA is something that, uh, that protects uh, trade avenues. Uh, and of course, you know, the other two countries are looking to expand the trade avenues between them. It's an, it's an inflection, but it is important uh, to know that. Uh, you know, you'll know where they land on it uh, when uh, we're talking about uh, foreign direct investment, when we're competing with each other. This administration has embraced industrial policy. You know, we've seen tens of billions of dollars committed to the transportation space in a Buy America lens, kind of in the same way they see the USMCA. And... Uh, We've seen the president declare that he wants to be, uh, he wants that country to be at the forefront of battery technology in this move to electric vehicles. What's happened and what's the most important dynamic right now, Greg, is um, automakers around the world, maybe responding to jurisdictions around the world, uh, are saying, look, we're going to go on electric over the the course of the next uh, 10 to 15 years, some as early as five years from now. And jurisdictions around the world are saying, well, we're going to go all, uh, we're going to ban internal combustion engine only vehicles uh, over the same period. Well, for the first time in history, we've had uh, uh, a a mass, a critical mass of jurisdictions saying we're going to move the the zero emission vehicle market from 2% to, you know, hopefully for them, I guess, 100% at some point. Mm -hmm. That layered onto the USMCA's uh, rules of origin that uh, include batteries in the um, core parts categories that say 75% of those batteries have to come from the region has spurred a lot of activity, investment discussions in Canada. Just got off the phone with um, this morning with a major uh, battery manufacturer. Uh, I won't say where, where they're from, but, you know, Gigascale, um, talking to me about, look, how could we organize uh, in uh, Quebec and Ontario, and um, they're all, of course, inspired by what's happening in those jurisdictions and uh, in uh, the commitments from the OEMs, and they know where the raw materials are. But their questions all come around to the same thing, Greg, all the time, which is, 
okay, well, um, who's processing the lithium and the nickel and the cobalt and the graphite? If we have all that, does that make a, I mean, is there a battle brewing between Canada and the United States for investment? And does that, do those raw materials give us the edge at this point when you couple it with a USMCA that was supposed to make us more competitive? We have the the raw materials to have us in every single discussion. And we're up against the industrial policy of um, the Biden administration. The president has said, we are interested in being the battery capital of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, it doesn't matter where the raw materials come from. We're going to assemble them here. And, um, you know, we could just shake hands and say, well, the raw materials come from us. We'll send the dirt over in the trucks. You guys build the batteries and everybody wins. The fact of the matter is, is that uh, we got a little bit more leverage than that. And we got a, a net zero accelerator fund from the feds that have, has $8 billion in it and pretty good terms. And we've got an industry minister who is eager to, uh, to exceed the successes of his predecessor um, and is playing um, a very aggressive uh, deal maker with battery companies around the world. I think we can land one or two of these major giga plants in Ontario and Quebec and then make those examples be the best selling point for us around the world. We really only have a couple of years to get this done. You know, we see Ford committing to um, electric vehicles in uh, Oakville in uh, 2024. We see General Motors making a similar commitment in uh, Ingersoll. Same thing in uh, Windsor for uh, Stellantis. You know, Toyota's commitment, um, uh, the same in uh, Woodstock and Cambridge. And, you know, we may not have heard from Honda, but uh, but that that never means that, uh, that Honda's behind. So, we have a whole bunch of vehicles that are going to be electric, electrified and built in Canada in the next you know, three, four, five years. If we can figure out how to make the processing pro forma work, um, what role the government's balance sheet has in propping that up uh, in the interim, uh, we can be the battery capital of North America and therefore one, of the, one in the world. But there is a real chance, it's a coin flip, that we missed that opportunity. And since we're talking about working with the United States and maybe in a bit of competition with the United States when it comes to the battery plant and production and all of that, um, when it comes to the border, this week, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau relaxed some of the COVID restrictions for international travel. I wonder how, if at all, that relaxation of the rules affects the auto sector. Does it mean your members and those in the tool and die industry can move a little more freely across the border now? and land some more contracts that may have been up in the air, or at least solidify what's sort of been cooking as of late? Um, how do those easings of restrictions affect the auto industry? Well, I think your listeners probably know how frustrated I've been and how vocal we've been uh, on mm-hmm. um, on the, the lack of distinction between essential travel and leisure travel and, uh, and how we think that's clogged uh, the pipeline for our businesses. Federal government has announced that if you've got two vaccines and that they are of the vaccines that have been approved by Health Canada, there is a very quick path to passage uh, in and out of Canada without um, without quarantining, and that starts uh, in about a week's time. That in and of itself solves all of our problems um, for Canadian nationals uh, who are 
need to travel for uh, business. Um, the other part of it, though, of course, is that Amer- that foreign nationals still do not have passage into Canada. And a lot of these Canadian companies, especially uh, that have operations in other uh in other in U.S. states and in uh, in Mexican states, uh, if the specialists that need to travel have to come up from North Carolina, there is no path for American nationals to come up and uh, and do that. Uh, you can make the argument for Central, etc., but we're still stuck where we are. It's a good move uh, for Canadian execs, and maybe that's all that the government of Canada um, needs to be worried about. And you know, that's probably a fair assumption, but it's not. It hasn't been solved for us completely yet. I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the biggest project you have on your plate, which is Project Arrow. Can you provide us a bit of an update on that? Where's the project at now? How's it going? You know, thank you for doing that because, of course, um, I think it's huge, Flavio. No, and I think you should be. I think it's it's a big, as you've said before, it's a huge business card for the Canadian auto industry. So I am curious how things are going. We are baking the engineering. Um, I tell you, I mean, I guess I'm not telling too many tales out of school here, but, you know, we're at the point now where uh, we've done the due diligence on all the proposals in all the different uh, product categories. We know what we don't have. We know what we do have. What we do have is an exhaustive list. What we don't have is sometimes extra selection in very specific uh, areas. On the ones that we know, um, major components, uh, body structure, uh, uh, drivetrain, um, uh, uh, passenger-facing electronics, that type of thing. We are now um, uh, selecting suppliers and negotiating with them on uh, terms, uh, you know, terms and scope. And we are planning to bake the engineering uh, by this fall, and then um, starting to get uh, building on the vehicle for 2022. Our virtual twin is done, and I'd uh, love to start going on tour with it, which was the plan. Yep. Um, you know, I, I guess we're really just kind of waiting. You know, of course, we've got free passage, but we also can't really get together with people where we go yet. So it's a bit of a hold. You know, since we last spoke on this podcast, you know, I think uh, readers of the Automotive News know that uh, we've hired the chief engineer uh, of special projects at Aston Martin, a way to be the chief engineer in this project. Um, I think what that says, if nothing else, is that we're dead serious and that we've hired one of the world's uh, foremost authorities on putting together short run or single run vehicles uh, of relevance. And um, to everybody uh, who supported us, you know, say it's, it's a great ride and it's a huge community. You know, somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago whether we need uh, an AutoZar again. And I said, I mean, uh, when Ray Tange served that post, I think he did a great job at a time that we really needed somebody to focus discussions and trade and investment. Right now, what we need is an automotive technology community, like a, a, a marketplace, somewhere where we can all discuss our ideas and uh, where we think it's going. And Project Arrow is acting like that especially because we're all hanging around virtually. So it's one of the corollary benefits that's come out of this is that, you know, there's probably a hundred companies out of the 384 that I've never heard of. And my team has never heard of. And now they're connected to us. And because of us, they're connected to um, upstream and downstream. And this, this, this marketplace, if nothing else were to come of this, it's um, 
these new connections and discussions. So, you know, you and I have had discussion for a long time. We've got the, the biggest automotive cluster in North America and we have the second biggest IT cluster, but those bridges don't get built organically. Something has to pull them together. And this project is, is doing it. I want to say that, uh, that we were smart enough to, ex- to, to plan for that. And that was one of the expectations, but it was not. And it's a very pleasant surprise. And um, some of those relationships are going to bear fruit for those companies outside of the arrow itself. And, and um, it really is a success uh, by any measure to those who don't believe that we can build this car and, uh, and uh, run this project that you'll probably hear my smile on the other side of this call. Uh, Just watch us. Well, it's funny because that was the whole point of this, wasn't it? You just mentioned how there are companies you've never heard of and there are companies that are now making connections with OEMs or other suppliers. And that not that the whole point of this vehicle was to show everyone that Canada does have the resources and the companies to supply just about any OEM? And so already early on before the vehicle is completed, hasn't it already in some ways met its goal in doing that? Yeah, it has. And I'll tell you, those connections aren't just local. We've got companies out of Quebec talking to companies in the UK. We've got companies in India talking to companies in Ontario. And um, some of those, some of that international interest is, look, we'd love to be involved in your project. And we say, look, it's a Canadian biased project. But um, let me make the connections for you. We've, and, and it's been fantastic. We've got Italian companies working with Mexican companies, working with Canadian firm. So Italian glass company, no, Italian glass company working with um, uh, uh, Mexican uh, uh, solar power companies, working with a Canadian uh, uh, power electronics company and saying, well, could we come together as a consortium? Well, maybe, but I'm glad you guys made that connection. And you're I playing you matchmaker. You're almost playing yeah, matchmaker, yeah. Uh, Flavio. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know which way you're supposed to swipe on those apps, uh, <laughs> which one is. Whichever side we're swiping, uh, you know, there's a lot of dates happening. Um, but now the biggest question, a virtual unveiling is, is slated for sometime later in 20, 2021. Uh, do you remain on schedule for that unveiling? Because that's what I mean. Everyone's excited to see the vehicle when it's complete. Will you have something to show us before or on New Year's Eve this year? Uh, I think if you came over to my place for a couple of cold ones and brought, uh, we set up the VR cave or meet you down at the Windsor Essex economic development uh, VR cave. I'll walk you through it right now. <laughs> it's ready. And and what the delay is, is look, it's an unfortunate delay that we can't go and congregate. Right. Um, but in the interim, it's given us more time to, to populate service surfaces and systems. And um, we will have an APMA annual conference this year in person. And uh, we're looking at a couple of locations and a couple of times in uh, late October, early November. We're really just kind of monitoring uh, what's going to work best uh, for uh, the locations and how quickly people are going to be congregating again. We're, we're assuming uh, that uh, Labor Day is one of those days that uh, is a line in the sand. And so uh, we will be doing a hell of a lot of uh, aero activity at the conference including allowing people to put on the goggles and uh, walk through the project with us. Well, count us in as guests. Um, and we'd be honored to be there and hope to check it out. Um, Flavio, uh, appreciate the time. 
Uh, appreciate the insight and good luck with the rest of the way on uh, Project Arrow. My pleasure, Greg. And, you know, I talked to the boys uh, and, and girls on this project and said, you know, Greg Layson is a big minivan fan. Um, could we <laughs> at least uh, put the goggles on him, uh, sit him in like a Pacifica simulator <laughs> and uh, and uh, make a tailored experience for you? So uh, watch out for that one. We reached Flavio at his office in the GTA. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion or simply want to comment, email me at glayson at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the Canada Conversations tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.